Welcome to the Get the Knack podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, and I'm coming to you from the Get the Knack podcast studio in a lovely warming up, break in the rain, ocean shores of Washington here in the Pacific Northwest. And coming all the way from balmy Massachusetts, my good friend, my old Navy buddy, he writes for popmatters.com. He is Chris Ingalls. Welcome back to the program. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Jerry. How about you? I am wonderful. Got out for a walk this afternoon, uh, three miles around the neighborhood. The weather was perfect, not a cloud in the sky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I saw some deer friends. I saw six deer out, five in five in a little mini, mini group. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a good walk and got a little sweat going. And, uh, yeah, so what's... Uh, Living the dream. You know, tell you what. <laughs> Funny you say that. Um, when you look at it, when you go from where I was in California to here, yeah, the n- first thing you notice is the air quality. No, sure. no more farm dust. No more wildfire smoke. It's you know they call it uh, you know the evergreen state for a reason. So we've got a little extra oxygen in the air here, and it's cleaner. That's and nice. yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, there's that little little thing called the beach, less than a mile away. I can walk to. So. Uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, normally you make your monthly appearance, uh, the first week of the month. And, uh, this month, uh, you were a little busy, had a little something going on, a little family activities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, yeah. The first couple of weekends were a little crazy. I had a, you know, my son had a a birthday party, uh, two weekends ago. And so we were really busy kind of pulling that together. And, um, last weekend we, I was in New York, uh, Brooklyn for about four days and visiting some friends there. And, um, uh, yeah, so it was, it was kind of hard, you know, it's funny because I think, um, I was visiting those same friends in Brooklyn about six months ago, one, one time when I was doing the podcast with mm, you, yeah. um, because I, I was, I, I went there by myself and I had a lot more time to myself and I could break away for a little while to do the podcast, but I was with the family this time and it was just like, it was, <laughs> it would have been hard to try and try and make that work so um but it was fun we had a we had a, a nice time and and i always love going into new york and and my wife and son took the car up the day before i got there and then i ended up taking the acela and i know how, how big of a fan you are of train travel and, oh yeah uh, it was a nice it was it's an it's a nice ride it's a really nice easy you know it's like a little under three hours you know boston to to new york and then of course getting on the um getting out of penn station was uh i you know i <laughs> Being living in Boston, I'm always overwhelmed by the New York uh, subway system. Um, I, I I guess it makes sense, but after all these years, I still haven't figured out exactly. You know, the, I, I I still am somewhat befuddled whenever I'm on the train because there's all these different. I mean, it's it's the city's enormous, and this, the the transit system is enormous as well. So, got a got a got a train from Penn Station to Brooklyn, and uh, you know, managed to figure it out without asking anybody because I hate to be like a tourist. I hate to be like right. you know, am I on the right train? So I try to make it seem like I know what I'm doing, um, and I think it worked, but it just took a while. But uh, yeah, so it's been a busy couple of weekends, and I think we're just looking forward to sort of taking it easy this weekend. Although we are going to have a something of a heat wave, so I'm uh, bracing for that. But uh, otherwise, things have been good. Good. Um, last time I was in Brooklyn, it was by accident. And it was really? because of the damn subway system. The station I wanted in Manhattan was closed. So okay. you had to go up to Brooklyn, get off, get on the train back to Manhattan, and get yep. off at the actual working stop. 
So, yeah, yeah I spent yeah. five minutes in Brooklyn trying to get on the right train. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, and then, see, last time I was there, I was coming from the New Jersey side. So there's a okay. whole different train you got to take from New Jersey to get sure. into the city. I think it's the right. path or the pace or something like that. And then uh-huh. you get on the actual subway. Um, ride the New York City subway at night, and it's a totally different experience. It, mm-hmm. it really some interesting characters. Uh, sure. You know, but. Yeah, I've done that, and I agree with you. It's a, it's an experience. I mean, and I, I I love New York City. I love it. I 100%. Think it's just such a great. It's just, it's, there's, there, it's, there's so much to do. Everything is like, you know, unlike in Boston, things are open late. You know, it's just, it's very vibrant, and it's, it's. um City that doesn't that sleep. I, Exactly. That's what they say anyway. That's, uh, I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. (laughs) Um, I slept while I was there. I hope nobody minds. But the the thing I, one of the things I really like about it is that, you know, being a movie buff, I have seen so many movies that take place in New York. And there's something about like that part of the history of the city fascinates me, you know, like, Oh, such and such was shot here. Or, you know, um, where we were staying with friends in Brooklyn is like a couple blocks away from where they shot dog day afternoon, you know, Mm, and I find that, that's that's that is just fascinating to me so so there's that but again there's there's always something to do and 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 um i think you might have seen when we were visiting friends and we were in brooklyn and and my son and i went for a walk and went to a comic book store he got a couple of comic books i went to um went to a record store picked up a couple of records and uh you know it's just it was a nice it was a it was a nice visit and again i love i love the city but um uh the drive back was we drove back and um that's one of the most boring drives. Uh, <laughs> once you get out of the city, you're basically in like Connecticut for two and a half hours oh, until God. you get into Massachusetts. And there's just, I mean, you know, I have nothing against Connecticut, but it's just highway, highway. It's and not. Highway and, yeah. It's like driving the Jersey Turnpike. It's just not pleasant. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And no, you know, no, no offense to our, our mutual friend, Jamie Salafia. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just not all that exciting. Sorry. No, no, not at all. And, <laughs> and you know, it's funny you mentioned it. We've talked about this uh, before that when, whether it's a book, a movie, a uh, TV show, yep. when they, the location becomes a character. And sure. and New York City is one of those places where sure. is, the city is, is a character. And one of the other things, not only television like uh, serial television or or network television but in movies but also things like uh christmas specials right yeah so when one time i was there i saw them um the tree in rockefeller center for christmas it wasn't wasn't decorated wasn't lit yet but it was in the process of and to be able to walk by that and you know, oh yeah 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 i've seen this a hundred times on television you know because they they have the tree lighting and and all that the the music extravaganza every christmas and you're like oh wow this is where it is or to walk by um yeah. to rock uh walk by uh all the different iconic theaters that you've seen on all the late shows right sure yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so uh it's a really interesting place and and lots of great food lots of great things to do like you said it, it's never ending speaking of cities in new york we would be remiss if we did not talk about this if we did not extend our uh condolences and best wishes and and i, I don't believe in you know thoughts and prayers but um if we did not acknowledge the uh tragedy the, the tragedy in buffalo yes. new york at the uh, top right. supermarket uh, when 10 yeah. people were uh, were gunned down. Um, yeah. As you know, I grew up in Rochester, New York, which is 60 miles east of Buffalo. 
tops mm-hmm. supermarkets, big competitor, at least in the region, to Wegmans, right? Uh, a lot of people will say yep. Wegmans doesn't have any competition, but Tops Tops would be uh, at least in Western New York the the big competitor. Um, so many things uh, terrible with that whole thing. The the kid who did it's only eighteen, radicalized the whole deal. I don't want to get into the the politics of it, but one of the things that I me- I noticed that I wanted to mention to you was this ass clown New York State corrections officer and his hideous Facebook post and talking about mm-hmm. clean up on aisle this and aisle that. And um, one thing I saw said he got suspended. Another thing I saw said he got fired. And then there's a whole bunch of other ass clowns that were liking the post and, and laughing about it. I'm like, are you kidding me? What the hell's wrong with you yeah. people? Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care which way you swing here politically, but you know, yeah, a little decorum. <laughs> It doesn't cost you your job. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're, we're at the point where we don't have any tolerance for, for people making those types of Facebook posts and or any social right. media posts like that. And, and it was just pretty sick to see. But my heart goes out to the people in Buffalo uh, and, yeah. uh, and to the folks yeah. uh, affected by that uh, tragedy. Yeah, it's terrible. It really is terrible. But, uh, you know, and it, it's just, I don't know, I... I <laughs> I feel like we were at a point where it was just like we were getting a little bit of a reprieve from a lot of that because of the pandemic. And it's just like, you know, oh, well, everybody's like back in the world now when all this shit's happening again. And it's, 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 yeah, it's horrible. It's just, um, you know, what are you going to do? I know. Um, It's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a tragedy. Yeah. Nobody seems to want to do the things, you know, the the hard things that would mitigate these, these types of uh, tragedies and events. And like you said, right, we, we had a reprieve from it. Now everybody's free range again. And yeah. uh, and so, yeah. you know, I mean, you're seeing all kinds of uh, just all kinds of just craziness because part of the problem, and you saw it every time they eased the restrictions during the pandemic is right. everybody, you know, oh, you are now free to move about the country. And everybody yeah. takes off their mask and goes running around willy nilly. And then mm-hmm. the cases would spike again. And everybody, yep, yep. oh, geez, I got to go put my mask back on. I got to go sit in the corner. And then now it's everybody. It's it, from a political standpoint, it's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's everybody's like, yeah, we're done yep. with this. We're, we're not funding it anymore. We're, you know, even Democrats are going to events with no masks and, and glad handing and kissing babies and everything else. Yep, it's like, yep. like it never happened. Yeah, and I, yeah. I I get the fatigue factor, right? We all have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, so over this i really am but the thing is is that you know it's 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 not over and you know i don't know if it's one of these things where it's just like you know endemic where you just like we live with it or whatever and you know i'll be honest with you i you know i we the three of us you know had had covid back in october and it's to the point now where it's just like it's i it's so strange because like you hear you know I, i don't know if you remember the first time that someone you knew got COVID or even like a friend of a friend, it's like, Oh my God, that's like, it's incredible. It's that's, that's horrifying. And it's just like, it just comes up in regular conversation now. It's just like, yeah, I had COVID last week. And it was like, okay. And, and I think that that is contributing to the fact that people aren't taking it quite so seriously. But I think what people don't understand is that there are still a lot of people out there who are, you know, whether or not they're vaccinated, either they can't get vaccinated because they have some sort of a medical condition or they're just naturally immunocompromised or whatever. I mean, you, you still have to take this shit seriously. And, 
you know, they, it's, I, it's, I, it's true what you said about like both sides of the aisle. People are just kind of like, seems like they're just giving up. And, and um, you know, if, if we had been, you know, strong about this and stuck to our guns from the very beginning, maybe this would have been gone like a year ago. But, mm-hmm. but the fact that people just keep saying, you know, people, people keep just sort of like giving up and uh, you know, that's why it's still with us. So it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know where we're going to be six months from now, a year from now. I, I, I don't know if it's ever going to go away, but um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, all God, I can thanks say for about the, thanks that. for that in depth analysis. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, you know, I started yeah. strong and then I just kind of gave no, up. No, I, I got, you know, it, it, it's <laughs> you're right though. I mean, it, it's it's crazy to think that you know even even when Trump was in office, you know, he was behind the vaccine. He was, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, he the way he acted when he had it, he acted like an ass. But whatever. Yeah. Um. You know, but at least at some point it got his attention. Right. And, and for all the things that he did, he was at least a proponent of the vaccines. And, and now I think part of the problem is so many people are vaccinated to some degree that when they Mm -hmm. do get sick, it's not life threatening. So it's like, "Eh, no big deal. Right. Like you said, it's, 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 you know, that's the case for a vast majority of people. Sure. Right. You're like, you know, like you said, eh, no big deal. Um, you know, my friend, my friend in Rochester, uh, my, my dear friend that I've known since high school, you know, he just had it recently and, you know, I was texting him every day. I mean, like, how you feeling? How's it going? And, uh, it was, you know, uh, quarantined for five days and back to work. Like, okay. You know, and, (laughs) um, you know, and, and his big thing was, uh, fatigue, Fatigue was uh, the the big thing. Once he started feeling better, once he got over the the flu like symptoms or whatever you get right. with it, it was the the end of day fatigue that was that was getting to him. Yeah, everybody has it uh, has different reactions. I mean, for me, it, for me, it was just a nasty cold. That's what it was like. It felt like I just had a bad cold. That was it. And then my son was kind of achy. It really kicked Liza's ass. I mean, she was just like out cold. But it, you know, it's it's kind of like people have different reactions to colds. People have different different reactions to to like the flu. So I mean, that's why I just for me it just felt like oh you know I just you know I you know I have like the sniffles and I'm coughing and you know whatever and so it's just I don't know this whole thing is very weird. What's funny <laughs> is I would think expect her to bounce back quick because she's married to you. So, <laughs> I don't you know. know what you mean by that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to I mean, the to the Get the Neck podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Nack, and I'm joined by my good friend, Chris Ingalls of PopMatters.com and formerly of the United States Navy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, you're a handful. I don't know. I don't know what I meant by that. Eh, eh. Yeah, I guess that, that makes sense. Right? I'll, I'll, t- I'll take it. With all your, with all your proclivities. Um, you know... One of the things that we talk about on the show on a regular basis is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I won't tell my usual joke that you hate it. Um, but, you know, it was brought no to one. my... It was brought to I, my... I, I feel like I have to defend myself every time the subject comes up. I don't... I think it's kind of pointless, but I don't hate it. It's 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 a fun it's a fun thing to talk about. Let me just put it that way. It's it, it's a it's a, it's makes for lively discussion. It's very difficult to quantify. Right, and there I you go. and I agree with you on that point, right? Because we talk about sports hall of fames in in this in this yeah, uh, stats, That's right. statistics, exactly. Yeah. It's it's quantifiable. Um, mm-hmm. With the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, you're not going to go off of album sales, you're not going to go off sure. of streams or downloads or whatever. Yep. Right, so right. one of the things that that I think we agree on 
and and when it comes to one particular person, everybody I talked to on this one person, they all disagreed <laughs> on this one thing. Um, but we all talk about cultural impact, right? We talk yeah. about, uh, you know, the, the baby boomers were famous for saying up yours, right? That mm-hmm. was their whole thing. They were anti-establishment. I mean, this is, this is the, the, you know, the hippie movement. This was, you know, um, even, even things like weather underground, uh, in the seventies, a radical left-wing group that wanted to overthrow the government and, and, uh, right. the, the anarchist cookbook and all this stuff comes out of all of that. Right. And these are the people yep. ruining the country at this point, but you know, I digress. Right. Um, they become establishment and, and all uh, embodiment of everything that they said they hated, but you know, um, yep, sure. But when it comes to uh, artists, when it comes to musicians and and songwriters and singers and all of that, you know, I think somebody told me this that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like dropped the strict rock and roll genre thing from induction criteria some time ago and maybe you'd mention it at one point but i saw a post about it um we always talk about the people who uh cause a reaction all right oh they don't belong that's not rock and roll that's not this and the one person who really shook it up in the last year is dolly parton and well yeah she i mean she shook it up i think i i don't think i don't think that she's created the kind of negative reaction that like hip hop gets because I think that hip hop is so much more polarizing, like among rock fans, I almost feel like, um, but, but I see what you're saying because I, I do think that, that, that people, you know, there are people out there who just aren't, you know, it's not the country music hall of fame, but I think it's, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and you think about Dolly Parton, especially later in, in her career, in her life, yeah. she is as rock and roll as anybody else. And all her, yeah. you know, her causes, her social activism, her, her mm-hmm. uh, altruism, she's as rock and roll as anybody else. But people forget what an influential uh, songwriter she has been over the well, years. Absolutely. I think that's probably the most important uh, side of her, her influence in, in terms. I think that's that's what gets her in probably more than anything else is, is, is as a songwriter. Because her songwriting kind of spans genres um, in terms of like who's who's um who's covered it you know and uh you know and and people i think people tend to sort of minimize the sort of blurred lines between like country music and rock and roll i mean it it it's really not you know they really are almost like hand in hand so i, I don't know i don't see the big fuss um i think that uh, you know it's funny is that one of the people that's making the fuss is dolly herself she's what is it she's like refusing to well, no, no, like she's that. she's she's bought in. It was when she was nominated, she came uh, out and said, "I've never done a rock and roll album." I think she was taking, uh, you know, the literal definition of of rock and roll in the right, genre and right, saying, "I've never right. done a rock album. Maybe I will someday." Thanks for the consideration. Yeah. Uh, rock and Roll Hall of Fame didn't end around and said, well, "Sorry, Dolly, we've already printed everything, so you're on the ballot. Yeah. You're you're stuck." Right. She gets picked. Now she flips the script and says, oh, I'm honored. Uh, I'm, I'll gladly accept this. Now, looking at some of the stuff that I, I see on Facebook and some other places, mm-hmm. that's when mm-hmm. you get into literal definition of rock and roll. And I think that's that's yeah. where people get hung up here. And I, and I thought well, it was funny that the, the up yours generation 
seems right. to have the biggest problem with this. Well, yeah, I mean, they've become the people that they that they were uh, that they were protesting. They've become the establishment now, and part of that is this insistence on, well, that's you know, that's you know, sticking to the status quo and all this other stuff. And and you know, I think that yeah, I mean, they're they're sort of making asses of themselves by like sticking their heads in the sand and not being more open minded about different genres and the blurring of it's all about like the blurring of lines between genres. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, you know, all of this, all of these genres, it's not necessarily about rock and roll per se. It's about how all the genres just kind of fit into each other. I mean, you know, hip hop influences rock and roll, rock and roll influences hip hop and country music is in their blues. I mean, you know, jazz, it, Miles Davis is in the rock and roll hall of fame and it's not because he's a rock and roll artist. It's because I think he had a lot of influence on a lot of aspects of rock music and and that's what it's all about it's not because oh this person isn't rock and roll well you know what is you know it's all part of the same you know it's all it's all a big stew or whatever you want to call it (laughs) it's all it's all but you know what i mean yeah it's all art though right and and what is art supposed to do it's supposed to upset the establishment it's supposed to make you uncomfortable in some instances right it's like all this book banning saw something you know about um uh you know talking about uh god it's uh, why is the title uh uh to kill a mockingbird um oh -hmm. it's making people uncomfortable well that's a fucking point read the book Yeah. Right. So let's go through the list, and uh, and you and I can, uh, you know, uh, impart a little bit of our our thoughts and feelings on these folks. Uh, There is one I don't understand, but whatever. Uh Um, So we've got Pat Benatar, and Mm -hmm. so one of the things about Pat Benatar, and I'm not going to lump her in with anybody, but talk about her and Duran Duran right off the top. We're talk about MTV influence here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, Pat Benatar. Fine performer, good singer, uh, very influential uh, a woman in rock and roll at the time. Very few sure. solo artists, right? Yep. Uh, Patti Smith comes to mind, but uh, very few at the time. Um, Duran Duran benefited from MTV mightily. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they probably wouldn't exist uh, or at least uh, wouldn't have been as successful. Um, sure. One of my favorites, and you just uh, touched on it about uh, hip hop, you got Eminem. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, another one, a lot of people, I don't even know what rock music is anymore. Well, you know, <laughs> fuck off because. You did a really good impression of those people. Just oh, thank now. you. Yeah, it. great. Thanks. <laughs> if It's when I start sounding like that all the time. That's when you got to send people for me. <laughs> Get the butterfly net and carry me off. Um, right. But I love Eminem and I think Eminem belongs just as. Uh, Anybody else? I mean, if you listen to enough of his music, he rocks as hard as anybody, and he changed the game with his lyrics and his storytelling. And you know, here's a here's another uh, you know as you know, uh, Beastie Boys, third base, uh, and then Eminem takes it to the next level from you know the white hip hop artist standpoint. But you know, he's discovered by Dr. Dre, and it's like when they did the Super Bowl performance, like, why is Eminem there? God, do you not know your history? Right. So, uh, Eurythmics, uh, you know, Annie Lennox, uh, Dave Stewart, I mean, fantastic, uh, fantastic music. Sure. They would another, have another, been another fun- band that was, that was influenced by MTV, certainly. To yes. Extent. But I think they would have been successful regardless. Sure. Right. I think, uh, you're right. I mean, their music videos and, and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that they put out there on MTV was very, very, um, you know, of the time, uh, Dolly Parton, of course, we talked about, 
Um, this is the one I don't understand is Lionel Richie, but you know, yeah, I don't either. I mean, <sighs> there's always one I don't get. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with him. It's not my kind of music. I think he's, he's one of these people where he's good at what he does. If you're talking about influence, and I really think that that cannot be overstated. The fact that, you know, the people who are in there, they should be, they should be represented. They should be there because of the influence that they've had on other artists. And that's where you have to ask yourself, how many artists do you know of who are like, yeah, I got into this because of Lionel, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. I mean, has his has his influence really been all that meaningful? But I don't know. I mean, I think I could think of worse people. Uh, yeah, and and here's another one who is in the consciousness because of MTV for some cheesy music videos and sure. you know some catchy hooks and you know some of us are old enough to remember him as the front man for the Commodores for a while. Sure, and, and I would and I would definitely have the Commodores in there. Certainly, I think they they are in. But I'm not right, right. Uh, one of the greatest singer songwriters of all time, Carly Simon. Sure. Uh, probably long overdue for her to be in. I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was one of those. You know, late '60s, early '70s. Um, a lot of uh, autobiographical lyrics, and you know, a lot of a lot of great stuff from her. Here's another person who, you know, if anybody were to ever question this one, I'd probably punch him in the face, and that's Harry Belafonte. Oh, sure. Sure, absolutely. I mean, an an early influence among other, uh, you know, if anything, you know, sort of like laid the groundwork cross genre, right? Sure, I mean, absolutely, and and appeal to the masses, right? It's it, you know, and he he was doing stuff. He's like almost like the Jackie Robinson of music, right? Here's here's a guy who uh, was popular with uh, with all kinds of different audiences as a black man, and and you know went through. The holy hell with with discrimination and and that kind of thing right and, right know. right and but, i think that the i think that the humanitarian aspect is an important part and you know you could argue over whether or not that is important in the nomination process but i think it should play a part i think that it's significant you know and that's why you see people like you know that's another thing with dolly is that her her her, her causes and that's certainly the case with him and i really think that that should definitely be a part of you know when, when people are making these decisions if there's a humanitarian angle especially if it's just overwhelmingly so like with him uh, um in terms of civil rights and things like that absolutely so for that you know that's a big part of it i think yeah and i think one of the things that we don't talk about enough are the origins of of what we consider rock and roll and that's where elizabeth cotton comes in Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately she died on my 18th birthday in 76 miles away from where I was celebrating my birthday, uh, in wow. Syracuse. Uh, yeah. Wikipedia is a great thing. Um, so, <laughs> uh, it is, isn't it? it's a wonderful thing, but you know, I think, you know, not only she was, she black, she's a black woman, uh, doing stuff that a lot of people weren't doing and, you know, she influenced American rock and roll as much as anybody. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of these great blues guitarists and and that kind of thing. People forget where this music comes from. You know, I went to the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame a few years back in Nashville, and I was stunned really to find out that you know it's a lot of English farm music that American country music comes from. It was really yep. weird to learn that. And then all the stuff I learned about the Beatles and all the stuff that they yep. did in Nashville and, and Bob yep. Dylan. But, you know, when you look at somebody like Elizabeth Cotton, um, you know, virtuoso guitar player 
that uh, that really influenced a lot of early uh, rock and roll. Uh, Jimmy yeah. Jam and Terry Lewis, uh, they sure. they pretty much you know stand on their own. I'm surprised they're not already in yeah. there. Yeah, they were because they they you know they're they they go back a long way, mm-hmm. and you know you look at like you know whatever the eight mostly like late '80s, you know like they were you know like Janet Jackson and like New Jack Swing and all that stuff. I mean that was they were like on fire, and I think yeah. influenced a whole. I, I guess you could say like a generation of like like R and B music certainly. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm, that, I'm surprised that it's taken this long for them. To be honest with you, right? I mean, well, and because they're, you know, they're producers. They were early producers that made a name for themselves, and it wasn't until later when when P Diddy or Puff Daddy or whatever the hell he's calling himself this week, um, and uh, you know, um, Jay Z and people like that, and Dr. Dre. Uh, you know, became these these front people for record labels. You know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were doing the, that kind of thing before them, and yep. and laid the groundwork. And and what was it? One guy's name used to do stuff, do remixes for Madonna. Was his name Junebug or Jellybean or you know Jellybean uh, Jellybean uh, um, Jellybean Jelly Benitez or something like that. Yeah, like, I mean people like yeah, that, yeah. right? Yeah, that were doing sure. these these uh, avant garde things. Baker, people like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Um, and then you might be surprised to know that this next group was my very, very first concert. I was, oh, al- I, know I was 11. Yeah. Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and <laughs> Judas Priest and Rob Halford are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is another one that surprises me. Um, it's gay bias, man. It's gay bias. Um, that, uh, Judas Priest, uh, I'm surprised they're not, you know, in, uh, already the Screaming for Vengeance tour when I saw them. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you want to talk about some split the sky metal in the mid eighties, sure. Judas Priest brought it. And, uh, oh yeah, yeah, and I think that they, I think that they influenced a lot of people who came after them. I mean, the whole twin guitar attack, and and you know, you know, Halford's voice was just like, you know, I just remember I, I was never really a big fan of theirs, but I always just had, I, I mean, I've always been sort of like amazed by his voice. I mean, it's incredible. And um, I mean, another band who I kind of discovered via MTV. I mean, I remember like you got another thing coming. I think I, I think Living After Midnight had a had a, a video. I mean, they were they were a band that kind of benefited a lot from MTV. They would have done fine without it, but but I think that that definitely gave them sort of a boost. Um, but I definitely, even as someone, that's an example of a band that I'm not necessarily a fan of, but I totally get it. I get right, it. and I mean, Breaking the Law was the first thing that Breaking I heard that that got my sure. attention, and then uh, you know. Uh, I had the Screaming uh, for Vengeance album, and I was, you know, spent a good part of the '80s trying to figure out my, who I was and and what mm-hmm. my musical tastes were. Sure, and I wasn't a huge yep. fan of metal. I I liked like uh, Quiet Riot and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Judas Priest, I don't know what it was. There was something like maybe it was Halford's voice. Um, you know, I it, there's there's. Some heavy metal singers or rock singers from the '80s. Vince Neil comes to mind, right? They have these mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. different iconic voices, yeah. right? That that you know, and even Axl Rose, right? It, it, in his prime, um, mm-hmm. you know, say whatever you want about the group, the music, or whatever. Just the voice alone is sure. is just it's different. It smacks different. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's you, know, you hear him and you know exactly who it is. Exactly right. right? And yeah. so Judas Priest in 
good stuff. Um, I don't know how this works, and I don't know how the hell you let a lawyer in the freaking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But Alan oh, Grubman, is this one of the non-performer categories. Yeah, Alan Grubman is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, he is a is an entertainment lawyer of uh, of some uh, uh, some repute. And uh, so yeah, um, he, he he won a lot of lawsuits. Probably he <laughs> made a lot of he made he he helped out a lot of child support cases. <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean that's why you people like you know Quincy Jones and people like that. I mean, he's well, he's a producer, but I mean, th- there's this whole non-performer category, and I guess they have you know whatever. I and mean, then I'm you sure end up, and then you end up with 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 uh, Jimmy Eovine, who. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, worked with Dr. Dre. They they founded. You know, hell, I'm wearing Beats headphones right now. So yep. one of the founders yep. of Beats, one of the founders of uh, Interscope uh, Records. You yeah. Know, you know, so also a rock, also a famous rock producer. Before then, he produced like a bunch of Tom Petty stuff and things, stuff like that. So he kind of crossed genres. But I think his hip hop influence is probably more of why he's in there because of like you said like dr dre and interscope and all that i mean that's a, that's a big thing yeah yeah exactly the, i don't know again where alan grubman fits in but yeah eh, uh whatever uh sylvia robinson uh a fantastic singer uh she's uh you know finally getting her due uh, yep. another one posthumous, unfortunately passed away in 2011. Um, but, uh, fantastic, uh, R and B singer. Uh, but she also was involved in a lot of early hip hop stuff, right? Didn't she produce like, she was involved in like Sugar Hill Gang or Grandmaster Flash and like that, but I don't know if it was as a producer. I don't know. Yeah. So she's, she's, a- yeah. Sugar Hill records. Absolutely. Right. Uh, right. You know, so that's a big, a bi- so a big hip hop influence. Absolutely. Right, and you know. I mean, we all know Rapper's Delight is is probably what launched mainstream hip hop. I mean, we've all tried, you know, to butcher the words to that. So I think that might have been the first hip hop song I ever heard. I think somebody was playing it on the bus when I was in like fifth grade, and that was, you know, just from my own personal experience. That's that's how that's how I first discovered hip hop was, yeah. you know, the, yep. the 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 early whatever late early eighties. What was that? Nineteen eighty. When was I was yeah. So I want to say it was like late 70s, but yeah, I was in uh, sixth grade and I heard okay. it at lunch was the first time okay. I ever heard it. And As you do. As you do. And and the guys uh, that could do such things were, were banging out the beats on the lunchroom tables. Sure. And it was just, I mean, when you get enough people doing that, it's just like, that's pretty yep. impressive. Um, sure. But yeah, it's... Um, you know, again, here's another person who had far-reaching influence in the music that we love today, right? Yeah. So yeah. When, yeah. Um, when we talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and who's in it and who's not and who gets snubbed and who doesn't and all this other stuff, you know, again, you look at Duran Duran, for example, right? They were uh, foundering as a group and then MTV basically resurrects their career when you listen to them or you watch performance footage of them they're yeah. fantastic musicians exactly their lyrics the don't make any fucking sense but yeah right yeah well i think that's that's something that people tend to forget about them is that yes they made really nice music videos and they were you know you know they were handsome and all this yeah other they were stuff nice to look they at were, they, yeah exactly but you listen to the music, and I remember when I first saw and heard Duran Duran. I was, you know, was 
probably like 13 years old or something like that. And it was not my kind of music at all. Um, but I would, I remember like uh, John Taylor, the bass player. I remember oh, yeah. Thinking, wow, this guy's a fucking great bass that, player. That and it's slap like, bass? Oh, my yeah. goodness. We hadn't heard anything yeah. like that in, in that genre ever. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing is that they were, they were, you know, they were definitely a band that was made for MTV. But if you listen to the music, it's really well done. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's almost like a perfect combination where they were, you know, they, they were, you know, they were made for MTV, but they also happened to write really good songs and they were, and they were great musicians and still, still making music. Yeah. And you know, still you touring. Hand, and yeah, still I, don't touring. Know, I don't know if I'd cross the street to see them, but, um, eh, eh. I mean, it would be, it would be, it would be fun. I think it would be fun. One of the few, uh, male acts to do a James Bond theme. They yes. did the view to a sound. Kill. Yep, View to a Kill. Absolutely. Not a great song. I've never been crazy no. about that song. That was a bad no. movie. It was it was probably the that worst was, um, of the Roger Moore. Christopher Walken. Yep. Uh, uh, Grace, Grace Jones. Grace Jones. <laughs> That's right. God, that was a bad movie. It was terrible. And uh, Tanya Roberts. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> I think funny. I might have seen that. No, I didn't see that. that movie either. Terrible movie. And, um, I, and you know me. I'm probably the biggest James Bond fan you know. And that, for me to say that was bad, that, that means then something. Is that near the bottom of the barrel for James uh, Bond? Yeah. It's just above Honor Majesty's Secret Service with uh, George Lazenby as Bond. Yeah, but nobody likes that one. No, nobody liked that one. Um, <laughs> it's almost like it doesn't count. No. I mean, there's a fourth wall break at the beginning. You're like, really? Is this a parody? Is this satire? What the fuck are we doing? Um, this never happened to the other guy. Oh, shut up, George. You shouldn't have got the job in the first place. There's a reason you were one and done. Shut up. Um, but anyway, I mean, you know, you look at last year's uh, class, and obviously uh, it meant a lot to me as a, as a Go-Go's fan going all the way back to the beginning. And Sure. You know, so to see like Pat Benatar, who, again, benefited from MTV and a lot of, a lot of stuff, um, but again, she's another one that, you know, does these 1980s nostalgia tours and, and people turn out for her. And, um, you know, she'd been married to the same guy for 40 years. And, sure. you know, she's uh, she's one of those uh, new wave. She was on the uh, kind of on the edge of, of new wave and, and yeah. mainstream. And, sure. um, you know, but I think this class is as strong as a class we've seen. I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think I think that the last few I think they've been on a pretty good roll lately. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, I just wanted to point out is that, you know, we talk about the fact that people, you know, complain and they say, oh, you know, Eminem, that's not rock and roll. One of the things that bothers me almost as much is when every year this happens where there'll be someone who is not world famous, who is, who is not a household name like Elizabeth Cotton or somebody like that. And they say, I've never heard of that person. And it's like, you know, that says more about your ignorance than anything else, just because (laughs) you've never heard of them doesn't mean you know how how dare you just assume that everybody that's in this in this group is like known to you i mean maybe you should try to you know learn about them you know what i mean it's just that's always struck me as being really um just sort of crass when people say that and i just you know it's just like just because you've never heard of them doesn't mean that they're not important so you i know, agree whatever. i agree 100 yeah. percent. and you know it's so funny how many session musicians have gotten together to form bands and that had one hit mm-hmm. wonders i'm like can you name anybody in that band but you sure as mm-hmm. hell like the like the song sure yeah right yeah, yeah. you know i mean yeah. and so it's very rare do you do you have a group that was thrust together like the monkeys that you end mm-hmm. up knowing the, the, the band members names. Um, right. 
you know, and, and have them become part of Americana and, you know, the American music scene like they did. But, you know, there's, I mean, Cheryl Crow started as a, a studio musician. She and, was a backup singer for Michael Jackson. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you, wherever it comes from, just because you didn't hear of it or hear, you know, of those people, I got a thing, um, <laughs> if I can't even remember the letters, but there's, there's a joke website. And if you do the letters for this, it's called, let me Google that for you.com. Yes, 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 yes. I'm right? familiar with that. Yeah. I've, I've used that before and it's very good. It's very, very satisfying. Yes, it is. And it's, yes, it's, it's an up yours. <laughs> Right? Is it up yours? (laughs) It is. It is the. It is the website version of up yours. Yes, exactly. And so you don't know who these people are. Uh, You have to freaking Google them and and you know figure it out for yourself. And you know it's unfortunate because it's it kind of starts with our age and goes up. And and those are the people are like I don't know who they are. Um, yeah. that's not rock and roll. Uh, what's I've rock and roll with these people before? Well, that's your problem. That is exactly your problem. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, going back to the days when I'm, you know, my buddy and I are listening to the, the, before anybody ever heard of them, you know, sure. we're, we're buying tapes that use record stores and, and just, you know, spending four or $5 on stuff, you know, on a whim. And six months later it hits on MTV and we're like, Hey, Yep. We figured this out before you did. That's uh, right. You know, and then the stuff we were playing when we were disc jockeys in Iceland, you know, we were playing the Goo Goo Dolls before anybody else. And uh, you when know, they were cool. When they were cool, exactly. Before um, the Four City of Angels and all that tripe. Um, yeah. But uh, I do have a little bit of personal news I want to throw out there. Speaking of music and, and disc jockeys and that kind of thing, uh, I haven't posted this on my socials yet. And I'm going to as it becomes more and more real and you know everybody can say whatever the hell they want about it because it is volunteer it is community radio but starting on or about june 4th i will be the saturday night disc jockey from 7 to 9 p.m on kosw the sound of the shores and i'll be playing 1970s late 70s all the way to 1990s alternative punk dance music and uh power pop uh as as you do um as you do as you do as we used to do back in the day in uh, Keflavik sure. Iceland I uh yep. uh you know I had a had a great meeting with the uh the program manager uh, recently and this podcast is part of why they entertain the thought of yours truly coming on and hosting a radio show so uh I'm really really excited it's been 26 years since I hosted a music show uh, which sounds yeah, absolutely doesn't that sound fucking crazy though? Yeah, twenty six I mean, years. Well, yeah, but I'm, yeah, it does sound crazy. But I'm also like the, the actual gig itself, like what you're going to be playing and everything like that, just sounds like that sounds like a blast. It's and, and it is. It is what we did on after midnight, right? From midnight sure. to two a.m., yeah, yeah. we sure. were playing whatever the hell we wanted, but we were playing the sugar cubes. We were playing Dada. Remember that Disneyland? Disneyland. And, yeah, there you go. Yeah, one hit wonders. Right. We were playing Utah Saints. We were playing uh, sure. New Order, The Cure, Depeche Mode. Um, we were playing all that stuff. And the, and the great thing is, you know, I'm talking to the program manager. Uh, he he's into into deep cuts. Right. So right. if it's on rotation somewhere, it's almost toxic. Let's let's get into yeah. the, the obscure stuff. And they've got the full album of uh, the cure, uh, the singles 
which is fantastic. One of the greatest albums. That's what helped get me into alternative in the first place. Oh, uh, uh, standing on a beach, standing on a beach. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, isn't it though? Um, so they have that and, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of other great stuff in the catalog and, you know, I've already been diving into, to research about, you know, great late seventies punk and it's pretty much American punk. It's the Ramones and everybody else. You know, and then yeah. you, the, but do you get into the eighties and nineties and you're talking the violent femmes, you're talking black flag. Um, I was stunned to realize recently that, um, uh, the sex pistols only had one studio album. Yeah. One. Never mind the bullocks. That was it. Yep. And, and it was, you know, it changed the game. It changed everything. Yeah. When it came, you know, came to angry anti-establishment music, it changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you have you have early Patty Smith, you have all kinds of great stuff in, in, in just in punk in general, but then you start getting into early eighties, mid eighties electronica and you're you're talking you know, now you're talking in my language, right? You're talking right, right. even in the seventies you want to go all the way back to craft work. Sure. All right. So and then in the in the eighties you've got everything, you know, anything that Jimmy Somerville touched as far as I'm concerned, was gold, right? Everything from uh, Bronsky beat, yeah, Bronsky beat and the Communards, and he's like yeah. the one guy besides the guy from You Find Young Cannibals that can pull off falsetto that I'll listen to. Well, speaking of Find Young Cannibals, you know that he, what what he collaborated on Find Young Cannibals with, right? Do you know that his what he recorded with them? He their first their first album they did Suspicious Minds, the Elvis Presley song. And Jimmy Somerville like sang like the falsetto part in that. Did you mm-hmm. know that? No, I did not. Thank you for that okay. knowledge. I'm going to yeah. use that. Well, it's just weird that you mentioned Roland Gift, and it's just like, well, they've actually, yeah. I mean, I that might have been the first time I ever heard his voice because Jimmy Jimmy Somerville was one of these people who was not really very well known in the states. And then I was I was of all places I was in Dinfos when I heard the first Fine Young Cannibals album. My roommate at the time had the tape. And that's how I just, and I think their first album, I think is just amazing. Not really crazy about the, the hits they had afterwards, but that first album I think is just terrific. And yeah, Jimmy Somerville appeared on that. And of course, you know, Bronski B Communards, more for, sort of an underground scene in the U S they probably had hits in the, in the UK, I would think. Oh, they were, they were huge in the UK. And you yeah. know, it, it's kind of funny because <laughs> you grew up where I did and you grew up how I did like in my neighborhood being gay was one of the worst things you could be and yeah. you know it, it's that whole toxic right. masculinity thing it's, yeah. it's it's homophobia it's all of that yep. and mm-hmm. it's stunning how much music I listened to in high school that was um, by openly gay people and yeah. you you know the the Smiths and Morrissey and and all that stuff, but but Jimmy mm-hmm. Somerville, um, I mean that's that's what small town boy is all about with Bronski yeah. beat right, and, yeah. and it's the persecution and all that from that, yeah. mm-hmm. and so it, it's really amazing all the stuff I listened to then, and then you go back and you look at it and you're like, oh. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's like that's like all these that's like all these metal guys in like the late seventies and early eighties not being able to put two and two together and realize that Rob Halford was like as you know gay as the day is long. It's like <laughs> don't the guy's wearing all leather. He's all going leather. out on stage in the motorcycle. I mean, and it's kind of like same thing with Queen, like Freddie Mercury. Hello, you know, <laughs> and, we, you know think, it's just yeah. 
But I think we all knew Freddie was. That was like the one guy we knew. Well, we all we all knew he was. So maybe for him, I don't. I don't know. That's that's the name of the band was Queen for fuck's sake. Exactly. I mean, he was trolling everybody. Um, And I think that you know Halford was was I guess closeted at least initially. But he was. Yeah. You're not putting two and two together here, people. I mean, he may not be telling you, but it's kind of obvious. Right, uh-huh. and I and, and there was a whole lot of that stuff in the '80s with all this music I was listening to. It's like I didn't get it at the time, and then later on, I yeah, look back right, and go, right, right. Uh, "Okay, great, right? <laughs> it's just great music. I'm gonna keep listening to it. That's that's exactly. you know, right. I mean, I'm not gonna stop listening to Morrissey, even though he's a freaking yutz. But and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's so funny that you know, like we talk about cancel culture and everybody's trying to cancel Neil Patrick Harris right now. And, and you know, it, talking about stuff they did 10 years ago or whatever, go back and listen to some eighties hip hop lyrics, go back and listen to freaking sure. go freaking go listen to, um, you know, rappers delight, go listen to some early LL cool J and go listen to sure. some homophobic lyrics. You want to go trying to cancel somebody, um, you know, but, you are listening to the Get the Knack podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, and I'm talking to my good friend and old Navy buddy, Chris Ingalls, who writes for Pop Matters. Let's uh, shift gears. We talked a lot about music on this show, which is great, and I always love doing that with you because you've forgotten more about music than I'll ever know. Uh, and we'll get into what you're working on uh, from a review and uh, you know Pop Matters standpoint here in a minute. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk about some movies and some books and, and that kind of thing like we do. Um you know, mm-hmm. and, and there's always that Stephen King reference. Um, A24 Studios has a, a new horror movie coming out starring uh, Rory Kinnear called Men. It uh, just came out this weekend. And uh, I tell you what, uh, Rory Kinnear is one of those actors I'd probably go see him in anything. And yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, within the last couple of weeks, Stephen King's Firestarter came out and you want to talk about a movie that got dragged from jump street. I mean, the, the trailer looked fine enough. And I, I remember the movie with drew Barrymore. Uh, yep. I've, I've never read the book. I have it on the shelf. It's one of those, uh, that I got, I got like a first edition with no, no dust jacket, uh, from a neighbor in, in where I used to live in California. Um, but when you go look at the reviews on rotten tomatoes, it got a 13 right off the bat. <laughs> That's not good. Yeah, it's the opposite, right? Of what we yeah. yeah. So I don't think I'm going to watch that. I can watch it on Peacock for free. I, I just I don't know. I'm, I'm not drunk enough, um, and I haven't had enough yeah. gummies for that yet. Uh, <laughs> I know. Well, um, you know, and 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 I don't know. I, I it's 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 funny because it's like it seems like Stephen King books and novellas and short stories are such, you know, make for such great fodder for movies and TV shows. And there's been so many, it seems like pretty much everything he's ever done has either been made into some sort of a movie or TV show or will be in the future. And, but that's not true. It's the same ground. We keep walking over. It's the same grave. We're walking over the same grave. So, okay. There's so much of his that has not been. I get your point, right? It seems like, right? But but yeah. let's let's not forget the guy's written over sixty novels, and how yeah. many of those actually have been adapted? Plus the novellas and the short stories. Now in September, on September 9th, the 
theatrical release of Salem's Lot is coming out, and William Sadler is going to play Kurt Barlow, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so we'll see if they get, you know, first of all, if they get what the movie was all about, which was an homage to Dracula. And we'll talk about that in a second, too, because I got a shameless plug for a friend of mine that I got to get in. Okay. Um, but the thing is, I just watched, if you haven't, like, gotten onto Tubi and you like classic horror films, like, I don't mean, like, Universal. I'm talking, like, 70s and 80s. Right. Go go get Tubi. T-U-B-I. It's free. Um, yeah, there's some commercials. There's some ads. But it's worth it. It's free. I just watched the original Salem's Lot 1979 miniseries on there again, and fuck floating Ralphie Glick scares the shit out of me today, just like it did when I was nine years old. Right. Right? So um, I, I was never a David Soul fan, and I still think, we've talked about it before, that he was too old to play Ben Mears. But there's a very young Bonnie Bedelia who plays Susan, the love interest, who Bonnie Bedelia also stars in Needful Things several years later, uh, opposite okay. uh, uh, you know uh, Max von Sydow and some other folks. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But um, Fred Fred Willard's in it. Um, George Zunda, who who goes on to star in uh, uh, Law and Order, he's in it. Um, he's in the first season of Law and Order. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and also Juliette Lewis's father's in it. So at least his father. Okay. Yeah. You know him. Um, he was in, uh, he was in, um, uh, a great Clint Eastwood cowboy movie. Um, was it pal? That wasn't pal Ryder. It was, um, God damn it. It's the one where they whip him to death. And anyway, you know who I'm talking about anyway, okay. Jeffrey Lewis. And, uh, so, okay. So yeah. Um, but the funny thing is the majority of the, the film holds up. 1979 to today, it holds up pretty well, despite David Soul and some of the other campy elements. Um, one of the things I didn't like was Kurt Barlow was a Nosferatu-looking type vampire when that's not what the book describes. So anyway, okay. so um, I'm really looking forward to that. I think if they if they capture the atmosphere like It Chapter 1 did, I think uh, Salem's Lot could be a really good adaptation. Um, there's so much of Stephen King's stuff that, that probably should be adapted that I don't know why we just keep going over the same ground over and over and over again. Well, what's one, what's, what's some examples of some stuff that, that hasn't been adapted that you think should be? Oh, well, they did Dolan's Cadillac, right? And that was a bad movie with Christian Slater that I watched not that long ago. I thought that was, wasn't, oh, was it Christian Slater? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Christian Slater. He played Dolan. read. Yeah, I only read a handful of the story. That's from Nightmares and Dreamscapes, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, and I it's, only read a handful of those stories, but the ones that I read I thought were really good. Now, that I thought was pretty good. And it was but an interesting yeah, it was an interesting concept for a story, right? I mean, they, they really cut out all the, the stuff that the, the, the protagonist goes through to figure out how to dig the hole. And, right, and right. you know, that's going to fit the... Uh, yeah. If, right. So, all right. I'm going to uh, Stephen King's website right now. And- the um, one of the ones that I've read that's one of my favorites of his that has never been adapted to my knowledge is one of the early Richard Bachman novellas, which is The Long Walk. I don't mm. know if you read that or not. No, I have not, but I, I'm I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff got done uh, for. Uh, 
for a, a made-for-TV thing. And st- my favorite, one of my favorite short stories by him is Battleground. And that was done as part of this. You can find it on YouTube. Um, and it was part, it wasn't in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, but it was in Night Shift. And, but it was part of this oh, okay. Nightmares and Dreamscapes TV show they did that was on like TNT or TBS or one of those. Um, the new one, Billy Summers, smacks of um, uh, a, a, an adaptation. Um, it's not a horror story, but I think it'd be really good. The one that I heard about that, um, is coming that they're going to do it's called The Boogeyman and I know there was a film called The Boogeyman uh, about 15 years ago maybe longer than that it has nothing to do with this um, I'm familiar the short story scared the shit out of me and okay. the whole thing takes place in a psychiatrist's office and it, it is a fantastic short story uh, I like my horror claustrophobic and mm-hmm. I don't like it sprawling. I don't like these these catastrophic endings the or apocalyptic endings. I like it, you know, few characters, claustrophobic, dread, right? Um, let's see. I'm going through the list here on his website. Um, I wouldn't. The one I would like to see a better uh, update to is Children of the Corn, and and the yeah. whole. Th- it's a fantastic movie until the end. The special effects get out of control with that. Yeah. I mean, the movie was, <laughs> it's funny because the first time I saw that movie, you know, as well as movies I saw on HBO, you know, back in the eighties. So I was probably like 15 or 16 when I saw it. And that was long before I started reading, reading Stephen King. So I didn't really have, you know, I couldn't really compare it to the, um, it, it's a, it's a story from night shift, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, of course I didn't read night shift until many years later, but, um, yeah, I, I've got a lot of problems with that movie, but it would be fun if they, you know, the, the movie has, and I should say the story has a lot of great, there's a lot of great opportunities there because, you know, they're, you know, it's just this, this couple that's finding their way into this deserted town and it's, it's, it's just kids living there and they're, you know, part of a cult or whatever. I mean, there's so much great stuff to work with there. It's just, they didn't, you know it was not executed very well in the movie. And then they made all these like stupid sequels, I guess, you know, none of which I saw, but very um, popular though. Very popular. Yeah. But I mean, it would be great to see a really good remake, um, by somebody, you know, who knows what they're doing. I have not read this, but it has a, a cult following and probably would lend itself is from a Buick eight. Okay, I haven't read it either. Um, yeah, it has a, a great following. A lot of people talk about it. Um, in Full Dark, No Stars, 1922, got a Netflix. Yeah. You know, it was okay. Uh, I like the great story. I love the short story much better. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I'm going going through Graveyard. Graveyard Shift was a terrible movie. Um, let's see. Gray Matter was done. Let's see. You know, uh, Hard Day Atlantis was done. Bag of Bones was done. I never watched it. I read the book. And I didn't like the book very much. I didn't like the book either. No. I thought it was very bad ghost story. Um, let's see. Some stuff in the, it's newer, but some stuff in If It Bleeds would be good. Uh, I think they're, they're supposed to be doing Mr. Harrigan's phone. Um, and that one kind of speaks to me. I wrote a blog about it. Um, Let's see. Um, trying to see. I'm going going through this whole thing. Uh, obviously, the short story Jerusalem's Lot got the chapel weight treatment on Epics, which was really really good. Uh, some of the hard case crime ones. Joyland would be fun. 
Joyland sure. will be really good, right? Um, and then uh, the most recent one later would be really good uh, for an adaptation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I blitzed through that in one sitting. What a fantastic book that was. Um, let's see as I go through. I'm in the M's now. Um, the Mist is one of the most tragic freaking things. What a great ending to a freaking uh to a movie um so we we got the night flyer which is one of my favorite short stories by him i didn't care for the movie a lot of people like it uh night flyer is also from uh, night shift right no it is not actually it is it is from i'm not sure which collection it's from but i have it in a collection of short stories by a bunch of different authors called prime evil and it's the first one, and it's a fantastic, fantastic short story. Um, the movie stars um, Miguel Ferrer. And, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else I think would be good here? Um, Secret Window, Secret Garden. You know what's funny about that is John Turturro is fantastic in that movie. Um and in the in the novellas, I, I read it not that long ago, and it's uh, from Four Past Midnight. Fantastic! Yep. I would not do the Library Policeman. There's no way in hell I would do the Library Policeman. Is that the one that you? Which was that? You said that there was one from Four Past Midnight that you didn't like. Was that the one, or was it <sighs> Sundog? I didn't care for Sundog. I thought okay. it it just it took too long to get to the point. I like the Library yeah. Policeman, but it is it is a disturbing story. Um, you know, let's see. And you know what? In speaking of Four Past Midnight, there's a movie, there's a book, there's a story, I should say, that should be done because they butchered it the first time, which was The Langoliers. Oh, and, and talk about a great novella and a terrible movie. Well, it's a great, yeah, exactly. It's a great concept. It's great material, you know, in the right hands with the right cast. It would be great, but they, they had cheesy special effects. They had a really... It was poorly cast, you know. It was just it was it was a cheesy miniseries, you know. It was yeah. wasn't it a two part miniseries? I think. Yeah, and it ends up being more about the Langoliers than the characters themselves, and it's basically yeah. the story is who'd fuck over who to survive, right? Right. You know, in that in that situation, and and um, you know, there there's some characters in that novella that you're you know you you it's not so much you root for it's the people you root against. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Um, you know, those, those are the ones I think, and if I were to dive into all the short stories and novellas, I could find a few more. Um, but you know, there's some that, that are perfect movies that you could never top like misery. Um, and you know, Shawshank, Shawshank, Green Mile, right. Uh, you know, some of his non-store, non-horror stuff has been really well done on the big screen or in, 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 uh, miniseries. But, uh, you know, some of his novels, you're just like, you know, okay, why are we doing this again? Right, right. Agreed. Right. So um, I read uh, Dean Koontz's recent, his most recent, it's called Quicksilver. I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, I like the character. Uh, I don't know if I like the story so much. Okay. It's this, you know, he did it in the five books of the Jane Hawk series. When, when the main character or the group of main characters is on the run and, you know, they're going to safe house to safe house, they're accumulating weapons, they're stealing cars, they're doing that. It's just, it seems repetitive from him. 
And if you go back to 1984 and his Servants of Twilight, which I read earlier this year for the first time, it's the same thing. Okay. So it's like, okay, I get it, but can we do something else? And and that's not indicative <laughs> indicative of all his novels. It's just there. It seems seems to be like a recurring theme for him. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Um, so some some other good horror films coming out, from what I understand. Um, one that is really really interesting to me is a Joe Hill story. Speaking of Stephen King, Stephen King's son mm-hmm. Joe Hill, uh, The Black Phone, starring Ethan Hawke, and I'm really really looking forward to that. It looks creepy as hell. Um, and I, and I want to see that one. Yeah. The, um, I, the only ones of his I've read are, um, uh, hard shape box, which I thought was pretty good. Um, I liked it a lot. Didn't love it. And I thought horns was great. Um, made into a movie that I guess nobody saw with Daniel. Radcliffe. I saw it. Am um, I the only oh, one? Was it, any good? it was all right. It, it was all right. It, it was all right. It, I didn't read the story, um, but it's a good yeah. book. It's good. It's a really. It's. A, it, I enjoyed it. It's fun. It's sort of. Enter, it's very entertaining. And um, I wasn't sure if I was going to. I hadn't really heard anything about the the movie. Like either way, whether it was any good or any bad, or, or any good or bad. Um, and so I ended up just skipping out on it. But um, it's interesting. I, I may check it out. If you thought it was okay, I might check it out because I love the story. It was a great story. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I didn't feel like I wasted my time watching it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, you kind of get to a point where you're like, eh, really? I mean, <laughs> but Nosferatu was a problem. The, the I didn't read the story, but but I, I almost want to because the the – TV series left me not wanting to finish it, and I didn't finish it. I got like two or three episodes into season two, and I gave up on it. And then they okay. canceled the damn thing. Um, right. And it wasn't the story. The story wasn't the problem. It was the acting. And, you know, the girl who plays the main character in the first season, she's brilliant. It's great. It's wonderful. Uh, Zachary Kinto plays the bad guy, and, and mm-hmm. he's a freaking genius actor. Um sure. And then you get into season two and, and the girl who plays the main character just goes off the rails from an acting standpoint. She's terrible. She's awful. And I'm like, how do we go from season one to season two of this? So, <laughs> right? right. And, and uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. And then, then I found out they canceled this. So I didn't feel so bad about giving it up. Um, you know, I've been watching from on epics that, that has talk about, okay. I don't freaking understand this damn thing because, they, it was a 10-episode first season with no guaranteed second season until after episode 10 was over with. So I'm like, okay, you could have condensed this whole thing into a two-hour movie because there's so uh-huh. many wasted episodes. Right. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? Um, so I... Uh, you know, they, they picked it up for a second season. I'm like, okay, good, because I got a lot of unresolved questions here. Um but uh, you know, it there's a lot of oogity boogities in the woods. There's some vampire type characters. There's you know, is that the, is that the official technical term? Oogity, oogity boogities in the woods. Yes, and uh, so yeah, um, you know, our affinity for uh, the country of Iceland. I tried to uh, uh, watch a series called Katla, which has something to do with a volcanic eruption and all kinds of weirdness. And I got one episode in and bailed on it. Um, so. There's oh, that's a too bad. yeah I know there's a Norwegian uh, cop series called Wisting I've been watching 
Um, that's, that's really good, really interesting. Uh, uh, guest appearance by Carrie Ann Moss, of all people. Um, so I find uh, European detective dramas to be much better than U.S. detective dramas. So there well, we go. You know, it's funny. Speaking of detective, like foreign detective shows, I was actually talking to somebody at work with at my job yesterday, and he was telling me, and actually someone else who was in the conversation too, was talking about the show Tokyo Vice. Have you heard about this? I've heard of it. I haven't watched it, but I've heard yeah. of it. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm interested. I'm, I'm sort of, my interest is peaked. It sounds like an interesting idea for a show. Um, the fact that it's on HBO certainly helps. I mean, they generally, their quality is a little bit better than most shows, uh, you know, most networks. So um, I'm going to give it a try. And see All right. Yeah, yeah, I tend to lean toward more to, toward the European, especially like the, um, you know, the Scandinavian type stuff is, is really good. Um, so uh, before we get into what's happening over at Pop Matters and all the music you've been uh, discovering and reviewing and talking about, I wanted to mention this. My friend Aaron Chapman, who I've got to know over the past couple of years in my uh, novel writing endeavors, uh, she runs a YouTube channel called Morbid Planet. And I've been on her show a couple times, and there's a few in the can that haven't aired yet. Um, one of the things that she does is something called uh, Virgin's Views, and she takes a horror movie that she's never seen before, watches it for the first time, and then has a guest co-host who is a fan or an expert of that film to break it down with her. And I've done three, okay. I've done three of these with her. And uh, one of them is on tour in the can, and we'll be we'll be on in the, in the next uh, you know few weeks, couple months. Uh, the first one we did was American Werewolf in London, and then which I'm stunned she hadn't seen it. Um, we did Rosemary's Baby, and then we did the original King Kong. And the reason I bring Aaron up next next week on the 26th of May is World Dracula Day. And what that is, is the anniversary of the publication of Bram Stoker's seminal novel. Uh, it's significant this year because it is the 125th anniversary of the publication of that novel. And Aaron has gone so far as to produce a three-part documentary that will premiere on May 26th. And she has found 15 experts worldwide to talk about the impact, the influence, and... and uh, longevity if you will of bram stoker's novel and uh, okay yeah so i think if if you're a fan of of that kind of literature or that genre uh it'll be worth checking out um check out morbid planet and it's called the dracula project and it's celebrating 125 years of of bram stoker's dracula so that should be really really interesting and uh i can't wait to see it myself um, and I mean, even, she even got, um, the great grand nephew, Dr. Stoker of Bram Stoker, uh, who's written a couple of books in the, in the canon, uh, to be part of the documentary. I, from what I can tell, he's a bit of an attention whore, but whatever. Um, okay. yeah. So anyway, there's, there's my shameless plug for my friend. And here's a shameless plug for my other friend who happens to be on the show right now. What the hell is going on over at Pop Matters? You were you were kind of like in this this lull where you really weren't writing a whole lot, and then no. I've seen recently this burst of activity from you. Um, yeah, I have been. I, I was not writing for a while because it, you know um, it's been you know my life outside of writing has been kind of busy. A lot of that has to do with job um, stuff, and you know 
previously I've had, I've had jobs that, you know, I can say this now publicly, I've had jobs where, you know, I may not have been quite as busy as, uh, you know, I could have been. So I had a lot of free time at work in front of a computer. And you know what, if you're typing on a word document, you could be typing anything and they're not going to know. So, um, I ended up getting a lot of review <laughs> writing done, um, at work. Uh, when, you're during, not getting a lulls. recommendation from those people. Um, yeah, well, anyway. But, but anyway, that's not the, you know, the job that I have right now, which I actually really enjoy, keeps me very busy and I've got a lot on my plate. So I haven't, as a result, I haven't been writing quite as much, but I have managed to crank out a few things. I, I, um, um, new album came out today by this, uh, sort of indie, uh, uh, singer songwriter named Thomas Dahlbaum, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, he's, he's, uh, from Florida, but he's in, he's lives in new Orleans now and came out with this album called Wellswood, which is a really, really good album. Like highly recommend it. Um, uh, indie singer songwriter, Sharon Ben Etten, who's been around for a few years, uh, had a new album out a couple weeks ago that I reviewed. It's called uh, We've Been Going About This All Wrong, and it's a really terrific album. Um, something you might really get a kick out of is this uh, singer-songwriter named Alyssa Midcalf, who goes by the name Primer. She came out with this album last month called Incubator, which is like really, really cool synth pop. It sounds like something out of the 80s, and it's like really, really good good songwriting. Um so that's that, that's some of the some of the stuff I've been into lately. The new Father John Misty, I think that was like last month. That's a really really good album. Very sort of orchestral. Sounds a lot like soundtracks of like old Hollywood. It's got this really kind of cool retro sound to it. Um, something that I am going to be writing about in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about because it's an album that's sort of near and dear to me. Um, a deluxe reissue of an old somewhat obscure Frank Sinatra album called Watertown, which he released in 1970. And um, it was an album that kind of got panned when it was first released because it was a little bit different than the kind of stuff that he normally did. It wasn't, um, it wasn't with like a full orchestra. It was like a smaller band and it was sort of like a concept album about a guy who's going through a divorce. So it's like, it's not like, you know, Hey, come fly with me. I mean, it's a little more downbeat than that. Um, and, and this, this big deluxe reissue is coming out in uh, June and I'm really looking forward to writing about it. Cause it's an album that it was one of those albums that when it first came out, it was widely panned, but it's sort of seen new life as sort of like a cult classic over the years. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to, to writing about that. And those are a few of the things I'm going to be doing one of those, um, anniversary reviews. Um, one of my favorite Elvis Costello albums, uh, Imperial bedroom turns 40 in July, which is kind of hard to believe, but I'm going to be writing a, a feature about that. So, um, yeah, that's about you, it. you, you can't stand Elvis Costello. Um, I can't stand him. What a that, hack. Yeah. I'll never forget the first time I ever <laughs> saw him. My dad and I saw him on like Saturday night live as a mu musical guest. And we were like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, that's my, my first introduction to him, but sure. we, we had the same sure. reaction to, uh, David Byrne and, and, uh, uh, talking heads too. So with, with the once in a lifetime well, video, but, but I mean, but I mean, whether you like David Byrne or not, that's going to be your reaction because whether it's, you know, I mean, even if you love it and I do, I mean, David, Oh, 100%. I, I he's, he's become one of my greatly. favorites over time. Yeah. But, but whether or not, regardless of how, how you feel about his music, you got to admit the guy's fucking weird. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and, and the shit he does now is just barefoot. I'm like, okay, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, well, I remember, I remember the first time I distinctly remember where I was the first time I saw the video for, uh, 
once in a lifetime. I think it was, I was at a friend's house in, uh, in New Hampshire. I was like, I don't know, I must've been 12 or 13 years old. It was the very early days of MTV. And I just right. remember thinking, who the fuck is this? That's guy? what my dad and I said. We're watching this going, <laughs> what in the hell did we just watch? Cause you know, in the early eighties, uh, I mean, you know, MTV was appointment television and, right, you know, right, and, right. and, and you know, early on, they were putting all kinds of craziness on there. Well, and, they were putting on everything and anything because not everybody was there. They had a limited amount of music videos. Yes. At the time. So they would play everything, which was good in some ways, but it was also bad. I mean, it was like, well, they had a the racial bias available. too going on. So there was, well, the yeah, there was that. But I mean, there's a lot of bands, these sort of indie, sort of like college rock bands that you wouldn't get the, you wouldn't get any airplay on like mainstream. Uh, U.S. radio people like you know Split Ends and the Jam, and but go before Spins. that. You're talking freaking Lena Lovitch and Siggy Siggy Sputnik for crying out sure, loud, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're talking were, Robin exactly. Hitchcock. Yeah, Robin Hitchcock, sure, yeah, and 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 that's the thing is that a lot of very early MTV resembled college radio. I mean, sure, it did. parts of it. I mean, they still they played like Pat Benatar and stuff like that, which was not college radio. But I mean, a lot of what they were playing was like only stuff you would hear on college stations because it was like, hey, do you have a video? Let's play it. You right, know, they don't right. care. They didn't care who it was. They played anybody. I mean, you know, so whatever. If they if you were making a video, you would get on there, and you know, eventually everybody was making videos, so they had to be more selective. And eventually, they had to play black music. Look, because- I should get credit for for Siggy Siggy Sputnik, and then I'll drop tones on tail too. So, I, I should get some freaking credit for for dropping some knowledge here. And you're that's that's, a, that's some serious name dropping right there. I Kudos. mean, right, right. I mean, because because we're we were far from the fix and. Uh, the call and groups like that, right, and and even like the tubes and fee waybill, right. right? We were we were a little, sure. from, you know, we weren't there yet. So, right. you know, the these the, it's so funny because if you go back and and look at, at stuff like altered images and, mm-hmm. and and groups like that and 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 just the rudimentary music videos, everything was on a white background. Everything was in a white studio. Even uh, even some of the uh, um, God, what was the damn group's name? Um, Patty Smythe and Scandal. Oh, Scandal, yeah. yeah, right. You look at some of that stuff, and you're just like, oh my god. Um, yeah. you know, it, they were just performance videos. Um, even right, uh, right. There was a lot of those just on a soundstage or whatever. Or, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or like you said, like a green screen or a white background. Um, right, right. And it was just to to you know get these folks out there, and, and then they were cheap. And then sl- yeah, and then Sledgehammer came out. Everybody's like, "Holy shit, you could do that!" <laughs> right, right. And and then some of these things became small. They became short films. And and yeah. you know, say whatever you want about the guy. And I and you know, I, I've sworn him off at this point. But you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller was appointment yeah. television, and it sure. was there were two different versions of that video. There was the short and the long. And you didn't give a shit about the short. You wanted the long version. The whole performance. The video whole thing. The, the- Yep. Yeah. And yeah, you had sure, a, sure. an aged uh, Vincent Price was part of that. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, uh, I know John Landis was involved. And, you know, well, he the, directed it, I yeah. think, right? The yeah, video. yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and so, did, well, who did, who did, uh, who did Captain EO? Was that Coppola? Oh, good question. You're going to make me I think it that. was. Yeah, I think you're right. But, or Spielberg or somebody. Yeah, don't make me I think that. it was Coppola. I remember that. Yeah, I remember Captain EO because I was living in Orlando at the time, and of course they would they were playing it at like Disney or Epcot or something like that. That's where you could see it. 
Uh, you, you made me look it up, and then it's going to bother me. Um, I, okay. I feel like it's Coppola. Coppola, yep. Uh, George Lucas was the executive producer. There you go. So what did I say at the top of the show? Wikipedia is a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people are sitting around going, who directed that? Who directed it? And people are just sitting there wondering. It's like, gee, if only we had a device in our fucking pockets. I I have IMDB on my phone, the app, and I've had it for years, and I use it almost every day. Sure. Yeah, me too. It's like, think, who's yeah. that, it's that one guy? He was in that one thing. And who's, yeah. I mean, there's no excuse for that. You know what's funny? I said this the other day. We have unprecedented access to information and we are dumber than ever as, yep. as a, a as a, a, a species it's ridiculous because tiktok exists and we'd rather watch that <laughs> which True. leads you to only fans which is a whole different fucking thing well how many times are you scrolling facebook and you run into those reels and no matter how stupid they are you're like oh i gotta see this guy wipe out on this moped you, know? <laughs> you like, said it's, moped it's, right <laughs> Or yeah. dirt bike, whatever. Or, BMX. Yeah, but, or, but, but it's you know America's I mean? home videos delivered right to your desktop or your exactly. phone. I mean, that's a, yep. that's what yep. it is, right? Yep. I mean, we we used to watch. I used to watch. Um, there was one hosted by Patrice O'Neill, and then Jim Brewer took it over. That was even better. Um, but that's what TikTok evolved from, right? I mean, it was this America's funniest home videos. How many times could you see? You know, T-ball dad get hit in the freaking balls because, you know, because it's funny. Yep. Right? I mean, uh, or, and then it's it's just, it's the same repetitive stuff over and over and over again. The same dances, the same whatever. That's why I love that Allstate commercial with Mayhem, right? I'm the latest yeah. hashtag challenge. This is going to get tens and tens of views. I love that. I love that guy. He's freaking hilarious. Um, and then he's dragging Peloton and, you know, the, the latest round of video uh, commercials is absolutely freaking hilarious. But, you know, anyway, um, as far as reading goes, I haven't read nearly as much as I would like to. I've talked to other people on the show about what's next. Um, StokerCon was just held in Colorado at uh, basically what's the Overlook Hotel. Uh, the Stanley, and um, I have not seen the list of winners yet, but I did see a picture. Okay, so Stephen Graham Jones, who's becoming one of my favorite authors, uh, yep. comes down with COVID at StokerCon, um, but he posts a picture of himself with his uh, Stoker Award, so I got to think he won something for My Heart is a Chainsaw, which is a fantastic right. book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend Um but um, I read uh, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires the other night. And normally for a one one sitting read, I'm somewhere between two and three hundred pages. Right. I'll, I'll read Bukowski. I'll read something, you know, fairly short. Uh, I even read Nickel Boys by uh, Colson Whitehead in one sitting. Yeah. This book was 400 pages and I read it in four and a half hours. I oh, could wow. not put the damn thing down. And uh, I was up until like 2.40 in the morning reading it. Uh, Grady Hendrix's prose and his style is freaking fantastic. It ha I was laughing out loud at certain parts. Um, so it makes me want to read more of Grady Hendrix's stuff. And I remember when I bought it, it was either going to be that or Mexican Gothic. 
because you know i look at the list so like what are the hottest uh what are the what's the good new horror right and i'm reading adam neville uh who uh, is behind the ritual i read uh cunning folk earlier this year which is a fantastic book um but i've got to read more grady hendrix because i just love his style hmm. so i don't know if you read anything recently um but no uh, i've, I've- I've been reading, um, it's been slow going, uh, this, um, this last few months. I don't know why I just, I, I've gotten to a point where I'm, I'm like abandoning a lot of books, which is kind of stupid. But, um, uh, I would say that, um, one of the things, let's see, um, I should just look at looking at a list of stuff that I've read and I went on through this phase and I, it's not quite, I mean, I think I'll probably keep doing it for a while, which is, um, uh, uh, Japanese authors. I've been. Yeah, really I saw something about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've become over the last several years. I've become a huge fan of um, uh, Haru, uh, Haruki Murakami. I think he's a mm. really great uh, novelist, and uh, as a matter of fact, he's um, sort of kind of entered the mainstream a little bit in that um, one of his short stories was the basis for a film called Drive My Car, which was an Oscar nominee this year. Which I haven't seen the movie yet, but I read the short story and it's a really good story. Um, I did read, um, a really strange, interesting book by this Japanese author named, um, Hiromi Kawakami and it's called strange weather in Tokyo. And it's about a relationship between this woman in her thirties and her former high school, uh, teacher who's like in his sixties. And it's this platonic relationship. That's kind of, it's kind of a strange story, but it's really interesting. And, um, one of the things that I like about this whole thing with Japanese novels is that, you know, if they're done right, you get to sort of like experience that world, like being in that country. And a lot of the best ones sort of talk a lot about the culture that they're sort of immersed in. And it's really interesting because it's, you know, in a lot of ways, nothing like our culture. So sure. I, I kind of like that aspect of it. And I've, I've, you know, I read that book and then there was another one I read called convenience store woman, um, which was also very interesting. And I've, I, I don't know. Like I said, I've, I've hit a bit of a slag. I've only read a few books so far this year, and I'm hoping to kind of pick Same. up on that. You mentioned you mentioned Colson Whitehead, and I read a, a book of es, uh, a book of essays that he wrote called "The Colossus of New York." Mm. Um, I do want to read Nickel Boys. I've heard really good things it's a about fantastic it. Um, book. Yeah, and I've also um, what's another one by him that I he did underground a, underground, underground Railroad, which was yeah, turned into yeah. a, a series, which I have not watched, but yeah, uh, the yeah. book the books on my radar, uh, the Nickel Boys. Think about Colson Whitehead; he says a lot with very few words. He reminds me of Hemingway that way. Yep, the economy of words, and but it's very very powerful, and yep. you know it helps you get through a lot of thick concepts very quickly, and mm-hmm. and you're able to grasp them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really, I want to read more, uh, by him. I've only read four novels this year. I, I read a few short stories, um, in a collection I have of, uh, of Cthulhu, uh, HP Lovecraft, uh, inspired mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I have, you know, my Stephen King stack that that's always kind of looming at me. I want to go back to the beginning sure. and, and read Carrie and I want to read Salem's Lot again. I have the shining finally. I own a copy. Um, so I want to get get back into that that kind of thing. But I've been yeah. watching so much stuff. I've been watching a lot of documentaries about serial killers of all fucking things. Well, there's so many of them out there. I mean, Netflix is basically like, that's like their thing now. Yeah. Serial, serial killer documentaries and series. 
you know. Right, um, I watched one on Ted Bundy. I've watched one on uh, John Wayne Gacy. I've watched another one um, called Tracking Killers or Catching Killers. It was really interesting. Catching Killers, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, binging uh, Mind Hunters kind of got me into it. Um, and and it bugs Which, me. There's not going to be any more Mind Hunters. It, it's so just, so it's. So it's not happening now because then weren't no. they hinting that it was coming back? Yeah, something I I saw basically was like why it's not, and it was this whole thing about Fincher and why it wasn't. Gonna, I didn't read it. Well, um, Fincher Fincher was is sort of like the linchpin of this. I mean, he's basically he created the show, and I think a lot of the return of the show really depends on his involvement. It sounds like, mm-hmm. and it's like he has gotten distracted by all these other things, and he's just like, well, Mine Hunter's kind of a low priority for me now, and they're like, well. Either you're doing it or you're not doing it because we get a lot of people here on the, you know, who, who's, you know, they're, they're willing to do it if you are, but he's just dragging his feet, I guess. But, uh, and that's too bad because, you know, you and I have talked about the show a lot. In the I past. just binged and it again. It's freaking brilliant. It's such a good show. And, you know, it's been a few years since I even saw the second season. So I feel like it's been, there's been enough time to where if I decided to go in and binge it, I would still, like there's a lot of things that I don't remember. So it would, right. be, you know, I'd be able to revisit it without saying, Oh, here comes that part where such and such. I mean, I don't remember a lot of it, but I just remember I loved it. Yeah. And, yeah. and same thing. And, you know, I, I remember the first time I watched it, I thought the Atlanta child murders, I thought it was a bit of a slog, but when I went back and watched it again, I was like, man, they had this guy from jump street and, yeah. and they took him off the board and as much as they're like, well, we didn't look at this guy, we didn't look at this guy, they took that one guy off the board and it all stopped. Yeah. It's like, you know what? They got the guy. And they didn't get him for what they should have got him for. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it just was one of those things where you got enough of the personal stories of the main characters mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. understand them, but it wasn't overwrought. It wasn't overdone. Right, right, exactly. It wasn't distracting. It, right. It, it, anything it added to the to the story. Sure. To, to the show. Yeah. Um, and and amazing cast. The yeah. cast was was good, and it wasn't a bunch of like super well known actors. It was all like character actors, and I think yeah. that's one of the things that made it successful. They didn't have this marquee actor who's like personality takes over the show. I mean, it's all these very understated actors. I mean, the the I forget his name, but the older cop. I thought was amazing. So well done. And the people they brought in to play the serial killers were spot on. Yeah. I don't know how they found these people, but they were amazing. They were fantastic. And then you learn things like, you know, the fact that son of Sam Berkowitz admitted that it was all bullshit. The whole, the whole thing about, you know, hearing voices and all that stuff and the dog talking to him was all baloney. It was all made up. Yeah. And, 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 um, I think, um, you know, one of the things that was really frustrating about the show not coming back is that, if you remember, the second season, they kept going back to these scenes, these brief scenes of, uh, I guess, which was, was BTK. Yes. You know, so they were, yep. they were, it looks like they were looking at exploring that case in the third season. And of course, it never happened. And it's like, God damn it, that would have been really good. <laughs> right. And Catching Killers, that's the first one they explore, right? And the thing oh, really? about that documentary that I really liked was they went back and brought in all the investigators, the assistant district attorneys, all those people who were involved and examined all their failings. Like, yeah. you know, it's, you know, the Green River Killer and the co-ed killer, all of these people, it's like, man, we had them. 
We had him. We had him, but we didn't have enough evidence to nail the guy. So we let it, and they go kill 20 more people. It's like, okay, now we got him. Um, You know, when they finally get, or or DNA technology wasn't there yet. Sure. Right. And then they finally nail the person. And I think one of the things that sparked my interest in all of this, and I go back to this every time, is Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh, yeah, Uh, sure. And, you know, You've read it. It's one of the most haunting things I've ever read in my life. It's a great. It's a great book. Yeah, it, isn't it? I, I know. It's I, great. I think you said you needed a shower afterward. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, she she was so close to the thing she didn't even know it. And then you know, I was living in California when I caught the guy, and um, you know, it's so funny how these these ass clowns they roll them out in wheelchairs. Like, no, you're a faker. You're a freaking murderer. Shut up. You're going away. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Um, Anyway, but, um, you know, so the thing about, you know, I've been watching all these true true crime documentaries. I'm kind of, you know, I watch some Dateline here and there, and I probably watch more of it than anybody in my house is comfortable with. Um, I'm looking for story inspiration, right? And and the one story I've been following, and I I won't be inspired by it, is this this Lori Vallow character. I don't know if you've been following this at all, but Dateline's been all over this. and, And you know what, if... A lot of people say they they would love um, Morgan Freeman to narrate their lives. No, I want Keith Morrison to narrate my life. <laughs> um, and he's been on this this thing, and you know there are a bunch of religious wackaloons, and uh, you know the the husband writes and self publishes these books, and um, they they end up in Hawaii. They killed their kid. Uh, she killed her kids. And they found him buried on her new husband's property, but they're they Dateline tracked him down in Hawaii, and they're they're like living the life, and you know they finally uh, they finally you know threw him in jail, and and they're gonna go to trial and all that stuff. But it's like you know what, there's some freaking evil people in this world, and it's partly why I write what I write because you know I have to freaking work it out in my head that there's fucked up people in this world. Um, yeah. whether they've, you know, crossed my path or not. And I've had some fucked up people cross my path. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's why I haven't been reading at night is because I've been watching this stuff, but there's been some other documentaries I've watched. Um, you might be interested in this cause I know your son is into this kind of thing and I'm going to get my son to watch it. Um, it's on PBS, but you can get it through whatever streaming service. It's a three part documentary. Uh, hosted by Liev Schreiber on the history of comic books. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it takes you from the very beginning when Superman was the first comic book that went from the daily or weekly newspaper and was turned into a book all the way to today's movies. And it talks about how comic books in the 70s started finally talking about social issues and and reflecting real life. Um and it, it, you know, they, they, it was done before Stan Lee passed away. So there's some great interviews with Stan Lee and a whole bunch of other people. Um, Neil Adams is in it, uh, who, who also passed away recently. He was a big Batman. Um, but it was also done before uh, Adam West passed away. So there's a lot of great Adam West to it. And nice. um, like I said, it's a three-part thing. It's really, really well done. For those of you out there who like 1980s horror, I discovered a, these two documentaries. They're freaking four and a half hours each. 
They're called in, I think they're called In Search of Darkness. And what they are is all about 1980s horror movies. So if you like 1980s horror, um, it's on Shudder. I also have been binging uh, Eli Roth's History of Horror. Uh, There's three seasons of that. Wow. So yeah, if you like horror movies of any variety, there's plenty of documentaries about that. And that's what I've been doing instead of reading. But, you know, the other night, I fully intended to read Grady Hendrix's novel like over the course of a couple of nights. I couldn't believe I was up till almost three o'clock in the morning reading this shit. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This is freaking, I couldn't (laughs) stop. I'm like, I'm like not even drift. I wasn't even drifting off. Like sometimes I'll, I'll get a second wind, like, you know, 300 pages in. I'll be like, Oh, I gotta finish. No, I steady straight through. And it, it, I don't know. I didn't even have a coffee or energy drink or anything. It's crazy. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I uh, I need to uh, to read more, and uh, I got all kinds of stuff uh, on my nightstand right now. Um, but uh, when it comes to Stephen King, I think I'm gonna go. I, I want to go all the way back back to the beginning. Didn't you read Carrie not that long ago? Yeah, I read I I read it like about two years ago, um, and uh, really enjoyed it. And I don't really know what you know took me so long to get to it. And I, you know, with Stephen King, I kind of bounce around. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I think I came across a paperback, uh, an old paperback copy of it. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't, I, I haven't read this one yet. And um, so, yeah, that's, um, and in terms of like the early ones, I've read that, I've read Salem's Lot, I've read The Shining, and I've read, um, I think Night Shift was one of the earlier ones too. Um, I have, attempted several times to read the stand and um i i think the last the furthest i've gotten into it was at least like 200 pages into it and you know the complete version is like 1400 pages which is just like insane and i think that there's a really good story there and i actually what i've read i've really enjoyed but it's just you know i have a problem with books that are like incredibly long like that it's just hard for me to stick with it but I think eventually I will, you know, I'll get, I'll get through it. I mean, I got through it and that's right. almost as long. And it, you know, was just, you know, part of, part of it for me was that a friend of mine who was like the biggest Stephen King fan I know, which just constantly raves about it. He's like, you have to read this book. Trust me. You're going to love it. And I did. And I loved the structure of the book, how it, you know, was the kids in childhood and then, you know, going back and forth between childhood and adulthood and all that. I, I liked the structure of the book and I thought the characters were really interesting. But um, yeah, I think that, um, that that's one of the great things about Stephen King is that there's so much great stuff out there. And, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to read all of them. I, I'd like to think I will. But, um, you know, in the meantime, there's plenty to explore. Absolutely. And the thing about it, right? I mean, I made it a point to read it before It Chapter 2, the movie came out. And, mm-hmm. you know... It took me three weeks to read it, and I read, you know, at least something in that book every night for three weeks except for one night. And it still took three weeks. And one of the things that kept yes. it kept it moving was the, the style, right, the alternating timelines. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I got into an argument. I don't know if I want to call it an argument, a debate with somebody on Facebook about this. And I, you know, when it came to it, chapter two, I said, you know, the filmmakers lost sight of what the book was about. I said, this is about unresolved childhood trauma. Oh, yeah, they dealt with it in chapter two. You see it. They're doing it a little bit. I'm like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. 
You have no idea. <laughs> because even in the 90 miniseries, the adult stories were underdeveloped. They were more developed than they were in Chapter 2, but everybody was enthralled with the child stories. And it, it just blew yeah. my mind in Chapter 2 how they screwed up the adults again. Mm-hmm. And and some of the casting was okay and some of the casting was bad. I thought Chapter 1 was pitch perfect, great cast, and, and really well done. And then Chapter 2 is like, really? This is what we're doing? Um, <laughs> right? So, But the book itself, I mean... It affected me. I wrote a long blog about it. I I looked up everything I could about it. Um, That doesn't happen very often for me, right? I mean, in America, uh, once upon a time in America with with De Niro and James Woods, the last time I watched a full director's cut version of that, that was the last thing that affected me the same way. I had to look up everything about it. I had to investigate it. Uh, Same thing with it after I read the book. I was just, Mm -hmm. you know, and so... Um, agreed. It's it's such a great story, great book. Um, I'm sure I'll read the stand eventually. I have a copy, um, but I want to read Carrie. I want to read Salem's Lot again. I want to read The Shining, especially since I love Doctor Sleep and I love the movie. The director's cut was fantastic. Um, yeah. So, you know that that's where I am with all that stuff, and, and I just got to get back to reading. I've only read four books this year, and it's really bothering me. At the height well, of COVID, I read like thirty-five books, thirty-six books. Yeah, I remember that. That was like twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty-one. Yeah, I like, went nuts. Set like a personal record or something. <laughs> yeah, I did because I was trying to read more yeah. than I did the year before, right? And so I was like, okay, six, seven, eight, nine, thirty-five. Right. So, but um, but yeah, it's. It's something I need to do, but I got to, one of the things is I am gearing up to write another book. And when I am gearing up to write a book, I absorb all things storytelling. So that's why I've been watching all these documentaries about horror films and serial killers and all this other stuff. I'm gearing up to write another book. So um, the story's in my head. I know how it starts and I know how it ends. And I, and, I, and I have the crux of it, so um, I'll get there. Speaking of that, um, I am going to reboot the Dark Passage series. I put out today the cover design for The Dark Truth. Yeah, I um, saw that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, all of the covers are going to look the same, um, except for the titles and, and the blurbs, of course. But the design's the same. I want it all to look like they're the same series. Uh, all going to be self-published so I can get my back uh, back catalog, my back list out there. And then I'm going to release the fourth book in the series. It's called The Dark Dawn. And, and you had something to do with this, my friend. Oh, yeah? What's Our that? conversations. This is Detective Sergeant Jonas Dietrich's backstory. Right. So That's we're gonna, cool. Yeah, we're going to go back to the 1940s. It's very noir. It's very... Uh, you know, San Francisco, it's very, um, you know, it's got a little Maltese Falcon to it. It's got a little Dashiell Hammett to it, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's all about Jonas Dietrich and his backstory. And and I think out of the four, it's probably the best one I've written. Interesting. And, and, and um, obviously the first time you're writing something that does not take place in the present, so I would imagine yes. there was some research involved yes. in that era. 
Very much so. I had to research like police departments and squad cars and and all that stuff and and you know kind of like chain of command for a police department at the time. It's set during World War II, so you know you have that kind of in the background. I had to do right. a a lot of research on 1940s radio. Sure. Um, you know, the San Francisco radio stations at the time and what were they playing and what time of day they were playing it and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, again, let me Google that for you. Um, exactly. Right. And there's a ton of that stuff available online. I was able to find, um, so I think you knowing that, you know, that character kind of jumped out at you in, in yeah. the first couple novels, um, that you'll enjoy that. Um, so Anyway, the idea is I'm going to self-publish. I'm going to get the first three back out into the market, and then I'm going to do like a big push to get the fourth one uh, out there. It's done. It's written. It just needs like one more edit pass. Um, and then I can start uh, worrying about getting that one out into the world. And hopefully you like it as much as you like the other ones. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, it'll be called The Dark Dawn. And, uh, you know, um you know, there'll be some familiar uh, familiarity. Uh, there'll be some new characters. Uh, as usual with my uh, my characters, you don't want to get attached to anybody. Yeah, well, that so, could be dangerous. <laughs> as you do. Um, as you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, anything you want to add before we wrap up tonight's show? No, no, it's been great catching up, and I know that it's been a, a little bit longer of a gap this time around, and, and hopefully we'll be able to... Uh, get together again more frequently but um yeah no it's it's uh, as 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 always i've got a i've got a, a list a, a reading list and a viewing list um taken from this episode and you know hopefully be able to report back with some i haven't done a lot of tv binging lately but hopefully be, i'll be able to talk about some of that stuff next time we'll see but i and now i have a listening list right from uh there from, you go. from everything you got going on at pop matters so yeah thank you uh, yeah so uh dark truth uh and and the other dark uh, dark descent and dark terror will be out uh you know revised editions will be out soon um Starting June 4th, I will be your Saturday disc jockey on KOSW, The Sound of the Shores, uh, from 7 to 9 p.m., playing all kinds of uh, alternative and punk from 19, uh, late 1970s to early 1990s to include some, uh, some power pop. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun, and that'll be out on uh, the old socials here really, really soon, as soon as uh, that date is set in stone. So... Uh, but that is going to do it for this edition of the Get the Knack podcast for my good friend, my old Navy buddy who writes for PopMatters.com, Chris Ingalls. I have been Jerry Knack. We'll talk to you next week.